Welcome to the Pacific Spine and Pain Society podcast for residents, fellows, and new attendings. A casual conversation, like the ones had after a presentation, in the floral suite, or in the clinic, designed to give you insight about interventional spine, pain medicine, neuromodulation, regenerative medicine, and minimally invasive spine techniques. And now, here's your host, Dr. Daniel Orlovich. Good evening, everyone listening to the PSPS podcast. This is your host, Daniel Orlovich. Today, we have a special guest, someone who actually wrote one of my letters, so we go back a little bit, but it's Dr. Scott Pritzloff. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. So my name is Scott Pritzloff. I'm currently the program director the Clinical Pain Medicine Fellowship at University of California, Davis. I'm also one of the board members on the Pacific Spine and Pain Society and just active and passionate educator in pain medicine. So thanks for having me. Of course. Tell us a little bit about, since you have experience with this, obviously everyone knows we have COVID here. We have interview seasons. Tell us, how have the interviews changed with COVID and everything going to kind of a virtual format? So everyone knows that pain medicine has been on a match now for for many years, now going back to 2014. And really the format for vetting candidates resembled what many other specialties did in the past, which was applications were reviewed and candidates were invited for interviews. A certain amount of interviews were conducted and then a match list was assembled. I think what we learned in the past year with COVID is that virtual interviews were out and that, you know, for obvious reasons. And so a lot of us learned that doing virtual interviews that that whole format really changed the dynamic of how to look at candidates, how to vet candidates, and more importantly, looking at how many candidates one should interview, a program should interview. I think this year in particular, there were an unprecedented amount of programs who had unmatched slots. And I think a lot of that really boils down to the fact that similar amounts of candidates were interviewed compared to prior years when when people were being interviewed in person. And I think what we found over the past year is that high tier and top tier candidates could really interview anywhere and they would get interviews all over the country. And this didn't require someone to take off a day from work to really disrupt their schedule per se. And so those candidates were were able to interview at a lot more programs. And because of that, that kind of self-selection that happens when someone gets on an airplane and gets a hotel room and shows up and does a day interview that really was not necessary. And so I think some of the things that we learned from last year's interview season is that programs probably need to be interviewing more candidates. And really at this point in time, I mean, one of the things that we really looking at the data from the match this past year is that there were less people going into pain medicine this last year, and it really was an applicant's market. And so I think programs now are really thinking about ways to reach out to candidates to really highlight and showcase their programs. And this is really going to boil down to doing more interviews and being doing more marketing, if you will, for candidates. What do you kind of, you brought up one of the surprises, one of the lessons, any other surprises you've learned along the way or lessons that you kind of picked up and you'd like to share with others? 
I mean, a lot of the lessons I think collectively we have all learned, meaning doing interviews via a virtual environment is is very different. A lot of the nuance and nonverbal communication that one has in a face-to-face interview a lot of times can be lost. And a lot of times the time frames for which one is being evaluated are truncated. And so candidates have a very limited amount of time to present themselves and present their application. And so I think both from, say, an interview standpoint and a program program director standpoint, we really look to streamline our questioning to have it be very pointed. At our institution, we actually have what's called a multiple mini interview format where we ask very kind of real life questions and situations. But I think really it's on programs and candidates both to have a very streamlined approach of how they're evaluating and looking at each other, both the program to see if a candidate is going to be a good fit and vice versa. You know, the other thing I think goes without saying, there's very much a whole setup that one needs to have to do a successful virtual interview. And a lot of these things are are very basic, but, you know, internet connection, shockingly, (laughs) is a frequent problem on both ends. And so there's a lot of flexibility that needs to happen with, with interviews and really, you know, not making this so strict that if you lose a couple minutes because of a drop connection, but for people to be flexible, but also to be succinct, I guess is what I would say. Mm -hmm. Nice. Any other kind of basic do's and don'ts, obviously like don't have the camera downward, looking upward kind of at your nose, but any other things that you'd recommend either from the applicants to do or the programs? Yeah. I mean, certainly from an applicant standpoint, I mean, things, I mean, at our institution, we interviewed, over 30 candidates and some of the things that would present themselves that sometimes would be problems is make sure invites that you're getting that (laughs) that you know time zones are important (laughs) shockingly you would have people on the east coast and there would be some sort of discrepancy they thought their interview was happening say three hours later or there was some sort of time zone issue so that's one thing i mean secondly just be on time in fact be early and plan for the fact that there may be some sort of connectivity issue. And it happens more than you think. And then, you know, even on our end, things that our faculty invested in were, were lighting. Lighting implements, you know, optimal lighting for, for the interview. And there's lots of solutions that you can find on the internet. But, you know, it's really you want to present yourself in the best light. And so, literally (laughs) making sure lighting is good. Your sound is good. You're free of distraction. You're on time or early. These are all very basic things, but I think when you're talking about a virtual environment, it it can be more difficult than you think. And then you said kind of, I thought it was interesting too. You said kind of the buy-in from the applicant, if he or she were to get on a plane, kind of take the day off, stay at a hotel, all those things, there's some buy-in. But now, like you said, an applicant can sit in front of the computer interview at multiple programs, all without leaving their home or their chair. So kind of from a program perspective, how do you deal with that? How do you see if they're willing to buy into that concept and kind of the culture at your institution? You know, I, th- I think there's a couple things. I mean, I think this year and even some of the programs talking with other program directors, there have been 
thoughts about having supplemental applications. There have been innovative other ideas, meaning would it be reasonable and meaningful to say have an applicant make a 90-second video expressing their, their interest in the institution? So I think, especially this year, programs may be looking for something extra, something more. But the short answer is it's hard, right? It's hard in this virtual environment to really assess genuine interest. What I would say for candidates is that pain medicine is an extremely small world. And I mean, you would know this, Dan. I mean, it's a small world. And whether it's program directors, candidates, you know, faculty, it's a very small world. And the lines of communication are very close. And so I would say just be genuine be honest. And if a candidate is honest and genuine, there's no issue. But also know that if someone says that they're ranking five different programs, number one, <laughs> the community is small enough that that likely will get out yeah. and will, will be known very quickly. Yeah. The one A, the one B, the one C. Sure. Sure. And, you know, the reality is this, and the specialty like anesthesia you know, some of the larger programs have in excess of 30 candidates per class year. And so if you add that up across the country, you're talking about, you know, hundreds into thousands of residents. But in pain medicine nationally, you're looking at consistently slots somewhere around 350, 350 slots. And so you're you're looking at a relatively small pool of available slots and applicants. And and really a community that's fairly tightly knit. And so, you know, it's just one of those things I would say, if you're doing 10 or 15 or 20 interviews, just be genuine and and, and be honest and open. But it's hard, I, you know, to circle back to your question is very hard in the virtual environment to really assess buy-in per se from an applicant. And I think that's why a lot of us now are looking at maybe supplemental or secondary ways that we can assess that interest. Definitely. And I imagine it's difficult too. You've been interviewing, you know, for multiple years. You're kind of used to seeing the patient or the the applicant, like you said, the nonverbal communication skills. I'm sure there are other people who have their kind of formula down. So, what do you recommend to programs out there who had to radically shift how they evaluate applicants, how they kind of talk about them as well? You know, sit down in a room all together afterwards, or just like you said interviewing a lot more candidates than they usually do. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing a lot of people might say is, you know, certainly there's the virtual interview, but I think more than ever, letters are heavily scrutinized and really reaching out to letter writers. Because, you know, I'll give you an example, you know, at our institution at UC Davis and at a lot of other institutions, applicants are spending the better part of a day at that program. They're spending five, six, seven hours at the program, they're able to shadow with the fellows, et cetera. And for example, at a lot of programs, there's oftentimes a lunch hour that fellows spend with applicants, for example. And so one of the ways, you know, some of the other ways that we've kind of gotten around or at least tried to at least get that similar type of input is we have a Zoom room with with the applicants and the fellows. And that's yet another data point. But back to your original question, I mean, I think people are definitely relying on letters and reaching out to letter writers. And I think looking at the entirety of the package, 
Not that that wasn't happening before, but I think definitely scrutinizing some of those pieces to a higher degree compared to maybe a year or two years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting, kind of looking at it all a little bit closer to get that valuable input. Anything else that you're kind of, how are you guys using the fellows? Because like you said before, there was a lunch or something. Any other creative ways that you've heard about, like you said, that, you know, the virtual hangout room, is it, you know, emailing the applicants later? Is it calling them? What have you kind of heard and what's kind of best practices? You know, I know some programs even will have fellows involved with the actual interview process. We have not yet done that, but it's something that we've considered. There's been other thoughts that even later on in the year, there's kind of a virtual kind of mixer where current fellows and applicants can meet kind of in a, you know, judgment-free zone where there aren't attendings and they can ask questions. But there's definitely, there's loss of fidelity when it comes to the flavor and flair of an institution when you're not actually walking the halls. You're not... (laughs) You're not actually seeing the procedure space. So, you know, some of the other things that programs are doing, I know we're even implementing, people are shooting videos, for example, of their of their spaces and, you know, kind of try to attract candidates that way. But we're thinking about innovative new ways this year to involve the fellows to, it's really a two-way street, right? It's not only to assess the candidates, but it's also for the candidates to feel like they have a, a good dose of knowledge with regard to what is the day-to-day life as a fellow at that program. And there are so many, you know, the great thing about pain medicine is it is such a small community. And I would say that the majority of the accredited programs are very good programs with extremely passionate educators and teachers. And so it's really about fit, both for the program and for, for also the, the potential fellow. Nice. Yeah, very well said. With all the kind of challenges that COVID has brought, are there any upsides that you've noticed? You know, when it comes to upsides, I think candidates are probably scrutinizing programs. They're investigating on the internet and they're, they're looking at, at programs to see what are the numbers look like because they don't have that in-person kind of intuitive visit per se, I think there's a lot more investigation that the candidates are doing, which I think is good. I think from a from a program perspective, it's triggered us to find ways to market ourselves better. I, ne- I never thought I would be, you know, for example, we just had a meet and greet at ASRA, which that the fall ASRA pain meeting and you know, we're pumping our Instagram account now and we're <laughs> pumping our, our Twitter account. And, you know, these these were things, you know, two years ago, our, our division didn't just frankly didn't have. And I think a lot of programs are are finding ways to, to use social media. And I think that's good. You know, you said, what's an upside? I mean, I think that that can only help a program. It can also help the pain medicine in general. So, I think that's an upside. And I, I think candidates as well really look at what's important to them, what, whether it's geography or being close to family, living in LA, you know, name your reason. But, you know, I think there is an upside to what's, you know, to the to the pandemic. But, you know, it's been tough. I think I think it's been challenging. And depending on where, you know, some of my colleagues in New York City, for example, 
you know, one of my colleagues at Sloan Kettering, I mean, they had a very different training year compared to us. And so that upside to the pandemic, so to speak, is going to vary. I mean, the enthusiasm for making saying anything positive is going to vary depending on who you talk to. Yeah. Well said. And I, I want to circle back. I like the point you made where programs, it's upon them to kind of do more of the marketing, do more of the outreach. And I agree with you. I remember looking, you know, last year, two years ago, a lot of it was just go to our website. And now you're able to look at videos. You're kind of able to see, like you said, the Twitter account, Instagram as well. So you're trying to replicate walking down the hallways, being in the floral suite, which I think is really interesting. And I would agree with you. That is a good thing. Because like you said, now the applicants get a better feel for the program as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'm definitely a convert. I mean, prior to a year ago, I was really not involved with Twitter, but the great social media washing machine really turns and it spins. And I think I think the bar really has been raised for programs, frankly, to market to applicants. Like I said, I mean, this past year, the amount of unmatched slots was was fairly low compared to prior years. And so in a, in a lot of ways, it's an applicant's market. And so I think it's an incumbent on programs to to raise the bar, frankly, and to be more engaged and not just say, look at our website, but to be really actively engaging with potential candidates, whether it be via social media or even at some of these virtual meetings, frankly, you know, PSPS, we had our, our fall meeting and, you know, it was great for trainees. It was free for trainees and finding ways to really involve people and get them in the mix and interested. And you get the, the personal side. You hear your voice, you hear your stories as well. And I think that's a nice touch because I think, like you said, pain medicine's a small community. Everyone knows everyone else. And it's nice kind of, you know, being part of that community. Absolutely. Any other surprises? You said kind of that data, you went to a recent meeting. Any other surprises or any kind of data that stuck out to you and said, wow, that's interesting that you'd like to share? You know, I think I think the thing that still surprises me is just underrepresentation of both minorities and women in pain medicine. You're looking, even if you look at anesthesia, women are, are now comprising a significant portion, meaning half in some programs, 50% or more in pain medicine, we're, we're still lagging significantly, both for women, for underrepresented minorities. And so I think that's still very much a mission for programs in our field for increasing diversity. And so I think that's something that's still a surprise that really hasn't changed a ton, but hopefully with time, with with more outreach, with more visibility that will start to change. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully we're moving in the right direction. Tell me, since you've interviewed lots of applicants, kind of what are the common themes that people were asking your program and then you've talked to other programs and they're getting asked as well. You kind of mentioned, which I thought was interesting, the experience for a pain fellow in New York might be different than one in California or whatever hotspot COVID is hitting next. I mean, I think it goes without saying. I mean, Dan, it wasn't long ago when you were running your list, right? When, I mean, the thing that always percolates to the top of the pot is procedures. (laughs) I think there's always a perpetual worry about procedure, procedure numbers, advanced procedures, things like neuromodulation, spinal cord stimulation, DRG, intrathecal pumps. That's a theme that 
consistently rears its head and is at the forefront. I think lifestyle is also important and how much call one takes. And so these are all themes that come up. I would say (laughs) the advice I always give everyone is that it's just a year, right? And so a lot of programs have a very different mix, but nonetheless, it may be different, but it's still adequate, right? Mix of procedures, clinic, call, inpatient, and you have to decide what is going to be right for you. But just keep in mind that your first two or three years out of practice is when you really kind of develop your niche of, of kind of the scope of your practice. But I think the, the, the procedure theme is has been more prevalent because there are so many new devices. There are so many new therapies that have come to market and have burst onto the scene. And so those are valid questions. I think you know, mixture of patients and, and diagnoses and pathology one's going to see is also important. But these are these are things that, that folks are always concerned about. Another thing that always comes up are concerns about didactics and education. And once again, different programs have different kind of flavor and flair of, of these sorts of things, but you just have to decide what's going to be good for you. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, it's tough. Now with virtual interviews, it's much more streamlined. How do you kind of ask those pointed questions without being too direct and do it all within, you know, a 15, 30 minute time slot as well. So it's it's definitely a challenge. Yeah. What I would say is, you know, with the virtual environment, when it comes to some of these things like procedures and rotations, I really encourage applicants to do your homework. I think in the past you could show up to an interview an on-site interview and you get a PowerPoint presentation and breakfast and kind of a casual introduction to the program, but you don't have that luxury anymore. And so what I would tell you is go to the website, look at the faculty who are probably going to be interviewing you and really educate yourself on some of the basics of what the program is like, because I think one, it only makes you look better during your interviews. And then secondarily, you get a really a better sense of what the program is like before you're even interviewed. Yeah, no, I like that a little bit of prep work before. And then once the, you know, the camera goes on, you can hit the ground running and you know a little bit more about the program. Totally. Nice. In terms of kind of you guys are on board up there, UC Davis, you know, it sounds like you're doing a lot of the marketing, you got the finger on the pulse, you know, the data as well. What would you kind of recommend to the other programs out there who aren't as savvy, you know, getting on Twitter or Instagram or maybe understanding these trends? What would you recommend or tell them? Well, I, you know, first of all, we're, there's plenty of programs that do a really great job marketing themselves, even in, in the PSPS, you know, member areas throughout California. So there are plenty of programs out there doing an outstanding job. All you have to do is, is log on. But I would say find someone who has a passion for doing this. You know, certainly you're even doing this right now, Dan, and you being a fellow, you're mile lightning miles ahead of people here, you know, understanding the pulse of electronic content and, and social media. But I would say find someone in for programs who are interested, find someone in your group who who is interested, who may have a little bit of a passion for this. It's it's not a lot of extra work. But it's something that can pay enormous dividends and something as simple as a photo of your fellows at a lab or a workshop is enormously powerful. I mean, it really speaks to, you know, 
the training mission, or even if you have a department or fellow get together when COVID is over, you know, it speaks to, you know, the humanity and the kind of social aspects of your program. And so it's not that hard to do. And it's it's one of those things that can really speak volumes and have enormous reach beyond, say, the realm of a website. I totally agree. Any kind of predictions, any thoughts on where we're going in terms of the interview season and, and COVID for next year or kind of the subsequent years? Yeah. So, you know, speaking with a lot of my colleagues, it seems like for 2021, I feel like I'm giving a Super Bowl prediction, but the overarching kind of sentiment is that things will be virtual yet again, rather. But, you know, certainly that could change with the vaccine. But I I would tell folks thinking about pain medicine for interviews for 2021, that it's likely will also be virtual. The other question that has actually, frankly, come up with other programs is, might there be in perpetuity both an in-person and virtual option for interviewing because of what's happened with COVID? And I don't think anyone knows the answer to that, but might there be a proportion of interviews that are reserved every year for virtual interviews? And that's something we don't know. But I think the other thing that you'll see is that most programs will be interviewing more candidates, perhaps 30% more candidates than they normally do if they didn't already last year. Yeah, that's interesting that in-person and virtual as well. I've never even considered that, but it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think one of the things we've dealt with in the past is if a candidate, for whatever reason, particularly us living on the West Coast, you have someone coming from, say, Boston or Baltimore or somewhere else, and they say, I really can't do it. My schedule won't allow it. Could you do a a virtual interview for that person very much in a way that these have been conducted for COVID possibly? And it makes sense. And you're still doing the same marketing. You're still doing kind of the same, like you said, the website, social media, you know. So yeah, I could see how it can go both ways. Absolutely. Dr. Pritzoff, thank you so much for your time. I want to give you an opportunity. Any final words of wisdom, thoughts for the programs, thoughts for applicants as well? I would just encourage everyone. PSPS has been just an amazing organization to work with. It's very much in its infancy. I would tell anyone, and certainly, Dan, you could attest to this, um, no matter where you are in your kind of training journey, if you're interested, we're looking for motivated, enthusiastic souls. And so there's definitely a home for you you know, in PSPS. And so we're, we're looking for those folks. I would also tell everyone to keep the faith. Don't be discouraged. You know, the whole match season and interview season and, and pain fellowship will continue. And it's very strong. We have a great group of leaders in the field. And so it's a great time to be in pain. It's a great time to apply to pain. And it's a great choice for the future. And so that's my optimistic outlook. Nice. I know you convinced me to go into pain, so I'm sure someone else listening out there definitely convinced them and then definitely get involved with PSPS. I can you know, echo your sentiments more. Just very dedicated people, very generous with their time. The amount of information, like you said, the, the fall conference, you can stream that, you can watch that. So it's an amazing group. So I, I definitely agree with your sentiments there. Great, Dan. Cool. Thank you so much, Dr. Pritzoff. I know you've had a very busy day, so we appreciate it. And thank you again for taking the time. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for listening. We want to continue this engagement. Please visit the PSPS website, join the email newsletter, watch the webinars, or attend the conference.